Welcome to Western Reaches number 10. This is a Tashi Station podcast about all the uh, video games that we're playing and books that we're reading. Um, I'm Megan Krause. I'm here with my co-host, Saf. Hello. And this week we have on Jennifer Hazel from Checkpoint. Um, she's here to talk to us about a very topical thing that probably everyone you know is talking about. About, um, if you're in the game space at all, we're going to talk about Pokemon Go, but we're going to approach it from a slightly different perspective. Um, instead of just talking about sort of what we've been doing with the game, we're going to talk about how it can be used in mental health, in discussion of mental health in video games, and possibly in helping people in their own lives. Um, Jennifer works in psychiatry, works in, um, does public speaking about mental health, and runs uh, Checkpoint as well as a, a website called Prescription Pixel. And so, Jennifer, thank you for coming on today. Oh, you're welcome. Cool. Um, so we have been, last week we talked about Pokemon Go 2. Saf, have you been playing more since then? I have definitely been playing more. Yeah, I've got my Pokestop loop going on now, and I haven't, uh, I still haven't, like, leveled up much. I'm still sort of on the lower rungs, but, but I'm having fun with it. And it's gotten me walking, which is good. Yeah. Same. What's the Pokemon fair like in uh, in America? Like, what, what kind of things are around? Because here in, I live in Sydney, Australia, it's pretty much Doduos and Zubats as far as the eye can see, and it's actually soul-destroying. Like, when you've caught your 50, 50 of Doduo, you're like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, we're infested with Pidgeys and Rattatas um, in in my area on the East Coast, anyway. A lot of Pidgeys, a lot of Rattatas, a lot of, like, Weedle and um, Caterpie. Oh, you can do some Pidgey grinding, then. Yeah, yeah. I caught a Pidgeotto the other day that I'm almost I'm almost ready to evolve. So that's not bad. And they're they're super cute. So, But the Rattatas are kind of annoying. I haven't been <laughs> plagued, plagued with the Zubats. Like, some people say they are here, but I haven't that experience all there are here are zubats just so many zubats and i i hate zubats so much now i feel like that's partially the true pokemon experience just like being plagued with zubats right (laughs) (laughs) it's like like just at night or is it all the time like does it know i think it does know when it's night but there's definitely zubats just all the time that's all there is near my place (laughs) i'm glad that the real world isn't like that just bats everywhere oh that would be awful it depends on on where you are right true yeah Yeah, i guess so this reminds me of that scene in jumanji i'm showing my age here um (laughs) where where all of the bats chase that girl out of the house it would just be like that all the time but with zuba god (laughs) see if you if we're going the jumanji route I have a ton of bell sprouts around here too, so now I'm thinking this is like giant plants everywhere. Limes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> they grow much faster than bamboo, beware or they'll come after you. I, that's the, I can't believe I still know that. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into Pokemon Go proper, we're going to go through our usual uh, segments in the beginning of the show. Jennifer, you're welcome to join us. Um, we are going to talk first about what we've been reading lately. Um, Saf, I'm going to make you go first. That is fine. I have been reading um, The Martian. I have read The Martian. Uh, I think I mentioned it last episode that I'd started it. And I like it. It's good. It's not my favorite book because I don't like anything that everybody else ever expects me to like. Um, 
but it's really good <laughs> <laughs> and it's really fun and it's really cool because it does that thing where it tells you a whole lot of science all at once and it's like real science so it's all like blah 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 this stuff happens and there's some maths and that's why that works and usually when a book does that i'm like this is the worst thing in the world please just just let me just burn this book or something um, but The Martian does it in a really fun way that you're kind of reading about this guy doing this weird MacGyver stuff with science. And I'm like, I'm into this. This is cool. I can dig this. And so it was fun to have a book that actually made me not not particularly interested in science, because I, I'm, I am interested in science as it is, but to write a fiction that had science and physics and chemistry done in a way that was accessible and fun. And I liked that. And... I think read, watching the movie first maybe ruined me a bit for the book because I didn't have like the pictures of the movie there, but the book was good, and I can see why everyone likes it so much. Um, and then, yeah. Did you say you have seen the movie? Yeah, I saw the movie um, when it came out in cinemas, and then I went and got the book on hold at the library, and so it took me until now to actually get the book. You got the book on hold at the library? Yeah. So I put it on hold because it had like a lot of people reading it, and so I put it on hold as soon as I finished the movie. Basically, I came out and put it on hold, and then it took this long for it to be free for me to read. I'm I'm baffled right now. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you had to wait <laughs> the library? I didn't even know people use libraries. <laughs> I love libraries. <laughs> Yeah, well, with uh, with bestsellers like that, the the library will order like forty copies of it, and there'll be a hundred person long waiting list. I I know that experience. Yeah. Yep. So, Saf, you said you didn't think you would like it, or you people thought you would like it. Was is that sort of you're usually sort of pre you preconceived ideas about it or did you not think you would like it for a particular reason no i thought i thought i would like it well enough um i think i I go into most books expecting to maybe like it i don't ever go into a book being like i'm gonna hate this straight off um but people i have like this thing where people think they know my book taste but nobody actually knows what i like reading except for (laughs) one of my friends and so people recommend me books all the time. They're like, you're going to love this. This is the best book ever. This is exactly your type. And then I end up hating the book because they're like, they completely overshoot what I like. And so whenever somebody recommends me a book, I kind of take it with a grain of salt because I'm sort of like, maybe I'll like this. I'll give it a go though. But I think The Martian is the best book I've read that somebody's recommended for me. Cool. That's- I've, got, I've, got the, um, I've got the Kindle version of of the Martian, but I hadn't started reading it yet. I'd heard similar things that um, the science is amazing. Yeah, and it's a really um, fun read. And it's got Matt Damon's face on the cover, so <laughs> <laughs> there's that. That's, and I, I think I might have said this before, but I went into that book thinking I would like the science, but not like the character because I just kind of thought. He he just didn't seem like a pleasant person to me, and that's sort of how it came out of it. Like I liked the science; it, it still might as well. It didn't necessarily matter to me that it was that guy. It could have been any character, you know. But the science was interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Anything else you're uh, working on, Taff? Um, yeah, I actually after the Martian, I picked up a bunch of books at the library, and I'm slowly making my way through them. And after the Martian, I picked up a book called The Fold, which is by Somebody Kleins, Peter Kleins, I think. Um, I just remember it's a Kleins name because I really hate Ernest Kleins' book. Um, 
but <laughs> see that sounds familiar it sounds familiar and i'm slightly angry just thinking about it but yep. i don't know why yep. go on <laughs> what did Ernest klein right i hear Sorry a reading player one <laughs> oh why didn't you like that um i have a lot of reasons for not liking that book like i can see why people definitely like it but it was really badly written and the main character is really unlikable and it's like, not God, I, you just I, made a sound come out of me. <laughs> no, like I, like I said, I hate like basically every book I read, so it's really hard to make me actually like a book. But I actually have I love that one book, on my dude. Right there. What? I love that book. I can totally understand why. It's a really cool book if you're like a nerd and you love that kind of stuff. And I am just you're calling me a nerd, sir. You are a little bit of a nerd, Jen. I'm such a nerd. Um, The only reason that I loved it was just like constant references to all this stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I like, sorry, we're not even talking about the book that you wanted to talk about. Um, (laughs) But he goes through stages where you're like, dude, why are you doing this main character? Yeah. Like, this this makes no sense. But I I, I felt that like all around it was an enjoyable experience. Yeah, it was really um, a fun book to read. But that's not even the book that you were trying to talk about. <laughs> so I should let you get back to that. Yeah, so um, I read The Fold, which was, I picked it up, I don't even know why. It was on that shelf that I've talked about before that's just there, and I don't know what it's there for. And I just, I, I think I was walking out with The Martian and I saw it, and I was like, that looks interesting. It looks like a science fiction thing I'll like. It's got like, I think the premise is that this guy goes to uh, a place, really good at describing things. Um, where the scientists have created a door <laughs> that <laughs> a, a door portal thing that has instant transportation to like other places wherever kind of thing and so they're experimenting on whether or not it works properly and anything that could go wrong with it and he has to figure out why everyone's acting weird there and what what's wrong because he thinks well his boss thinks there's something's wrong so he goes there to investigate why people who made this door are acting really weird about this door. Um, and it's it's a really generically written book, and the main character is kind of like, basically just knock off Sherlock, um, <laughs> but with way more pop, pop culture references thrown in. Um, and it's a really generic book, but the middle of it is really good. This bit, the beginning is kind of boring, and the ending is weird, and really anticlimactic <laughs> and doesn't do things it should potentially do to make it more interesting but the middle is really good so i can say that much and if you really like like lovecraft and sherlock and that kind of stuff it's probably a good book for you it's just i am not into those things so yeah so it's kind of got that like otherworldly like not quite rightness yeah, to it. yeah and it does do that really well it kind of plays out the mystery and the suspense of like what's actually happening here quite well mm-hmm. because i read a lot of books in a similar genre to this i kind of figured out everything that was happening near the start but that didn't take away from like how good parts of it were because it did have really interesting parts and it was really good at doing that thing like at the end of the chapter where something happens and you're like oh my god what is happening so you have to read the next chapter, and so you just kind of keep reading the book. It's just like constant cliffhangers. Yeah, I did finish it in like three days, I think, which is pretty good. You're like, oh, you know, I, I, I don't know if I liked it. Like, it was okay. I finished <laughs> it in three days. I kind of you know. hate read books a lot of the time. I'm kind of reading it like, I need to know how this ends, but I'm not enjoying it. And I mean, I was enjoying it, but I would not reread that book. <laughs> it sounds like a sort of quality sandwich, like 
you like the middle, but the outside's kind of crusty. Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> All right. So, what would you recommend it, or would you just say it is generic about the only way you can describe that? Like I said, if you like Sherlock and Lovecraft and that kind of stuff, I would recommend it. Otherwise, if you don't like like generically written female characters, and also don't like Sherlock, don't read it. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Did you get it from the library as well? Yeah, I picked it up at the library. So what was it about it that made you want to pick it up out of all of the... Like, they must've, it must have sold itself in a way that um, you were able to be like, oh, okay, I'll give that a try. Um, the cover definitely caught my eye because I had like this cool kind of like modern sci-fi kind of cover and i kind of picked it up like that looks interesting and i also like books that have names kind of like the fold like that always sounds interesting to me so i picked it up Mm. and looked at it and the back had like a bunch of reviews about it being a really cool like sci-fi thriller and stuff and like having interesting twists and the guy andy weir who wrote the martian also had a comment on it saying it was good and i was like well i just got the martian kind of seems like fate that i should read this too so yeah it's funny this is really off topic now but talking about um, how you find books in the library, which, by the way, Saf, I feel like we should have a segment just called Things Saf Found on the Mystery Shelf this week, <laughs> because the mystery shelf of your library is gaining legendary status to me, personally. It really is. Um, I, I tend to flip through, you know, I'll look at the cover, I'll read the back. I'll flip through and just read, like, random sentences, because I'm kind of a prose snob. So if it's got, like real complex sentences or if it's got a word I have to look up I'm like yes this one (laughs) and (laughs) I go through like phases of reading so like I won't read anything for six months and then I'll just binge um and whenever I'm in the market for a new book I literally just go on twitter and I'm like recommend a book and like 50 people will you know, let me know what they've recently been reading. And then I'll just go on the Kindle store and just buy all of them. That seems like such a good way to do it. slightly make my way through them. And I'm, I'm actually yet to be disappointed in that, in that method. Like, like if, if there's something that I clearly won't enjoy, I just don't bother. But like, that was how I discovered, um, Ready Player One. That was how I discovered Ender's Game and The Hunger Games, which are both, um, what I liked. Uh, and various things. <laughs> it's just like peer review. Is this good? Yes. Okay. Done. That's a really good way to do it. Oh, well, they're all vouched for. Then. Yeah, yeah. And it's like by people that like, like I would say, like, these are the things I enjoy reading. And then people are like, well, if you enjoy those, you'll enjoy this. And they're usually right. But then I'm, um, I'm not very picky when it comes to my, my reading. I'm just like, whatever i just i'll just read anything like i, I i'm quite uh, i'm much less uh picky than i am with tv i wish i was less picky with i think twitter twitter has that ability to like you you're in a circle with somebody you follow not in like a google plus way but in a social way like you follow people that are interested in the same things as you so you can usually get good recommendations that way mm. And that's, so the one I'm reading at the moment was sort of gotten via Twitter. Um, Jason Fry, who writes uh, a lot of Star Wars books, also writes a series called The 
the Jupiter Pirates, and I'm reading the third book at the moment, just called The Rise of Earth, and I'm about halfway through, and it's uh it's really enjoyable this this world he made it's it's literally space pirates like they live in Jupiter's moons but they operate like they were a, a pirate ship from you know the distant past and it's all pirate lang- lingo lingo and like people with peg legs and everything so it's a cool world um this one really ramps up the politics so it was sort of a space kids adventure for a while and it's turning into a lot of diplomatic incidents and a lot of like all right why is this faction unhappy with this faction and and that's generally a good thing but it also i had to go back and see okay what real complex economic reason is there behind this which I wasn't expecting, but isn't a bad thing. I think that's um, Jason Fry, right? Yes. He wrote, which which of the younger reader novels did he write? It was Weapon of a Jedi, right? Yes, he did Weapon of a Jedi. He did the entirety of Servants of the Empire. He's done several uh, reference books, I believe. That's right, yeah. He's he's good at um, writing like younger reader books that are... They don't talk down to the reader, which I think all of the people who've written younger reader books for Star Wars in general are really good at doing. They're good at like treating their audience like like they're mature adults without actually writing mature adult stuff. Yeah, I agree. This one I could definitely see like this is something that a kid could discuss with their parents or like even, uh, you know, somebody that's like myself. I don't know a lot about trade economics and the history of piracy and i feel like i'm learning things from this <laughs> that's awesome yeah um cool so in the game realm i just started playing a game today called kentucky route zero that i've wanted to play for a really long time and it's a it's a point and click adventure game set in kentucky and alternate universes surrounding it um and i've never been to kentucky so i can't really compare how the sort of atmosphere is but it's um it's a pretty cool game so far it's a little creepy <laughs> sorry i'm i'm What's not that? laughing at you it's i just like that you're like oh i don't know whether it's like real kentucky now <laughs> i've i've played kentucky route zero i've played it from beginning to end um and you'll 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 find out how irrelevant the fact that it's saying kentucky okay, actually well, is I'm, pretty soon unless unless bears are like legitimate employees and that's yeah well that's i've gotten to the i know there's going to be a point of divergence i've gotten to the bear <laughs> employees and the like floating crystals and yeah it's already very. I mean, it's very weird, very fast. <laughs> There's no. It's, I, yeah, I wouldn't even call it a portal fantasy because it's not like there's the real world and the weird world. It's just all weird. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's a really interesting narrative exploration. Like the um, the way that the developers integrated art and narrative is. And those kind of fluid perceptions of both are really, really interesting. Like, sometimes it just looks like a generic, um, you know, point-and-click puzzle game where everything, you know, this is a guy with a dog wandering around at a, a petrol station or whatever, a gas station. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, 20 minutes later, 
you're floating through space and yeah like the the actual textual narrative is no longer communicating to you in like a traditional way it's it's really clever the way that it 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 transforms itself like that um but then i also found that like a a little bit grinding when i played it because i you just get used to something and then it would change and you're like where's the consistency but then that was i don't know that was just me um and i'm a, mm. I'm a sucker for tradition i'm not very far in i'm it, um sort of the beginning of act two just went back to the place with all the bear employees and <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is great. It's just like because I've been trying to explore as much as I can. Like they tell you, okay, go to floor five, but floor three is marked bears, so I have to go to floor three. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's filled with bears. Bear. Like you, you yeah. can't not go to a floor filled with bears. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's um, I'm still kind of getting a feel for it, but I, I see where you're coming from because. I agree there's a little bit lack of consistency and there's it's um you're kind of constantly in this dreamlike state and I'm like all right where's the baseline where's the baseline reality and there isn't one mm. but I yeah, like what it's yeah, done you're right uh with perspective and let, like emotional perspective but also just depth of field with the screen and early in the beginning you sort of zoom out from a view in a distance behind a house to a view really close up where there's people in silhouette playing instruments sitting on a porch and it was just yeah um the way they made the world have depth i really liked Mm. Yeah, yeah yeah the 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 design and the aesthetics are stunning like I don't think you can fall. Yeah, and that's where I I'd wanted to play it for a long time, par- partially because of that. I just didn't do battle with my elderly computer um, until now. So, but I'm I'm enjoying it. I, I think it's been out for a long time now. Hey, I think are we approaching like four four years. How since have release? I I've only just heard of this game this week? Like, literally, a whole bunch of my friends just started playing this week, and I don't know oh. anything about it, but I think I'm sold on it just by it's... the bear employees. It must be having a resurgence. <laughs> yeah. There's a really weird... Yeah. Um, Megan, have you gotten to the... I can't remember which act it is, where the character that you're following completely changes to be, like, the the author, the writer. No, that sounds amazing. I haven't gotten oh, there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've yeah, noticed... It's... Really trippy. I've noticed that very early on, you you don't always stay with the same character. The moment where you could make dialogue decisions for yeah. what I thought was going to be an NPC, I was like, "This is what's happening here." Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's had a resurgence lately, and it's been going since 2013, I believe. Um, the latest act just came out recently, so I think it's Act Four came out recently, and. Uh- it- Oh, 50% off on Steam right now. That's probably why I've been hearing about its app. Oh, it's cheap on Steam? Yeah, because I was playing it when um, his little uh, history lesson about me. I used to be a YouTuber, um, and it was one of the games that I played when I was doing that, when I was still living in merry old England. Um, ah, so that, and that would have that would have been in like 2013. Uh, I used to do all the voices for the characters because I'm a really cool person. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> now I want it. So, what was 
well, I, I won't ask you about all the voices if you don't want to, but <laughs> now I'm curious. Oh, like, um, so the main, the main character, I can't remember his name. Conway. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it. I, I, I did my really, really bad generic, like, Southern American states. So, like, <laughs> oh, what, what's your, what's your dog's name? And, like, stuff, it was really bad. Um, <laughs> I love um, it. Does this dog talk oh god i'm trying to remember this game it's been three years since well, i played it well not yet but it might no, no, i mean no no, no. <laughs> no no it would have been really early on he talk. he's talking to someone um i think i made someone russian which is always fun excellent um yeah i, I i'm i'm a weird person that's all right. I know that I'm coming to this game late, but I'm glad that I can go through it relatively quickly now, too, because I want to explore all this stuff, but, like, I'm going through Act 1 was relatively quick. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not a long game, but then when you look at, like, the love that's gone into developing yeah. it, it's clearly, yeah, it's, it's a Definitely. pretty good experience. I've, um, I... I added things to the the list that I've just thought of of things to talk about. By the way, so um, um yeah, I'm <laughs> just letting you know. Awesome, <laughs> cool. Well, if how about we do this way? We'll go. You can do your game and your book at the same time. Okay, great. So I I want to just shout out to one thing real quick, and then we'll go on, and we can do the one that you just added in. Okay. Um, yeah. So I. Speaking of like developing games, I've been following the development of this game called Behold the Kickmen because I saw it on Twitter and I thought it looked funny. Um, it's made by a guy named Dan Marshall, who apparently is known in some developer circles, but I, I didn't know who he was. Um, he is from the UK. He does not know how to play football, what I would call soccer, and is making a game about football and it's this cute little sports game sort of where like the players can charge up and make a rocket boost and fire the ball and there's all these like sort of the rules that he thought football had and it's just sort of hilariously droll to me especially because I don't really know the rules of soccer and also first thought he was talking about American football so it was doubly <laughs> I didn't know what the rules were and he didn't know what the rules were and I didn't know which rules he was breaking but it was a really cute looking game so that is there's a uh, let's play is available or a brief let's play promo available on YouTube now but it's the game is not out yet but I wanted to pointed out because I've been having fun watching him learn to make it. That's awesome. Yeah, Dan's like, um, I, I've never met him IRL, but I, I know of him from, from circles. He, um, he made the swindle, I think. Uh, yes, that was referenced. I really, I, I know almost nothing about him except this game, but that's people have mentioned the swindle as well. Oh, I've just gone to his Twitter. Apparently, he's a BAFTA award-winning game developer. Go, Dan Marshall. Fancy. That is fancy. BAFTAs are like, uh, you probably don't have any context for this. It's like the British Academy of Film and Television Awards. So yeah, they're, they're a big deal back then. Acting home. thing. Uh, they, they it's all media now, so it's like film, television, and games. Like they've got their own game award ceremony, which is super cool. Yeah, we had oh, okay. um, a couple of New Zealand developers go over for their game Mini Metro. That was really cool. Oh, did they? Yeah. Um, 
I don't remember if they won. I think they did, but I can't remember, so don't hold me to that. But yeah, they went over for that. Um, Peter and Robert Curry went over for their game, and it was it's really cool. That's awesome. Cool. So, Seth, what? Uh, oh, what, Jen? Sorry, I was just saying that sounds really good. That um, the football one. Yeah, it does yeah, I hope fun. so. I I will play it when it's available. <laughs> Depending on uh, uh, you know, when it's available. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, so, Saf, what are you up to? I have been slowly playing through um, Halo with um, someone, and we finished Halo Two Anniversary this weekend that has just been um and i have not played halo one or two in a long time and i can't remember either of those games so i was sort of playing through them like i kind of vaguely remember this stuff but and i know who these characters are but i don't know what's actually happening in the game and so jumping from halo one to halo two was kind of amazing because halo two finally brings in like all of this like accessibility that halo one does not have because halo one has maps that are really confusing and it does not give you nav points or anything and halo two streamlines it maps a lot and everything and because it's anniversary it's got the um redone graphics and everything and they are amazing and so gorgeous and miranda looks so much like her mother and it breaks my heart because i just love i love these characters so much um i love miranda <laughs> i love miranda so much and um what, what playing, are you playing on uh xbox one xbox yeah i don't have one my friend does <laughs> yeah next box um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's really fun. It's really good if you like Halo. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't know. But, I don't know. I, I haven't really been playing much else. I just... It's been nice actually being able to play through those games again, especially with the Master Chief Collection, and just um, get a chance to see Halo 2 reimagined, kind of, with, you know, 3 4 mm. designs, and also modern game design, as opposed to old-school, uh, confusing game design, which... I appreciate, but also as someone who gets lost really easily, just in general, I really hate old games sometimes because I get lost real quickly. Lost is in like the directionality isn't made intuitive. Yeah, yeah. Or... Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. I, you, I've, I've never played um, the early Halos. I played the third one, but I'm not really a uh, FPS sort of person yeah you can kind of tell with the first game um because we were also because you can swap between the new graphics and the old graphics when you're playing both the first game and the second game um and you can tell the first game that they realized how bad their map design was because in the new graphics they've actually put <laughs> arrows on the ground to tell you which way to go that's um at least they yeah. learn yeah and i do appreciate that because otherwise when we when we finally clicked that there were arrows on the ground that you can follow we got through the game so much faster because yeah, before that we just yeah. keep getting lost and going in circles so i really appreciate them doing that and i do like that you can tell like by halo 4 i know that they um playtested the first mission like a thousand times to make sure like with playtests and stuff to make sure that it was easy to tell which direction you're supposed to go and they changed yeah, yeah, yeah. it was lit and everything to make it easy for the player to know because you know with fps's it's good to make it really easy to figure stuff out like that and i think it's really cool how um 343 is determined to keep getting better at that yeah i think i, I seem to recall that they did have some directional arrows like that in the original uh versions but maybe not so much and i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure because i i played halo 2 anniversary much more recently than playing original halo 2 and uh 
it's it's Blur Studio that did the animation, and it's just like you can just watch it like a movie, and it's delightful. Yeah, definitely. If you need to rely on arrows, there's something. Sorry, I'm just having a stretch. Um, there's something wrong with the way that the environment's designed. Like, yeah. you, you know, your 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 direction should be uh, instinctual, and it should be implied by. You know, if you, if you can't use camera angles because it's an FPS, then it should be the environment that guides you. Yeah, and so, I, Halo 1 definitely gave me an appreciation for how much work must go into that. Because swapping between, like, um, like just playing that game, because I play Halo 4, I've played it a lot, and I know the game really well, and it's really good most of the time at directing you um, with the environment and then lighting and everything. And it kind of just, I knew how much work they put into it, but I'd never really thought about it. And I played Halo 1, mm. and I was all like, okay, yeah, I see why it's so important to get this right. Because I mentioned the fact, I mentioned on Twitter how they had to put arrows in, in, the, in the redone graphics. And a whole bunch of people were like, yeah, this this map, the the cartographer, the silent cartographer or something like that. Um, like, everyone on Twitter who replied to me about how bad Halo 1's designs were always mentioned the same map. Because everybody got stuck there, and I was like, "Yeah, we got stuck there too." Yep. They didn't play test it enough, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was their first game, so they probably didn't even expect it to, you know. Do- mm, yeah, but the AAA, like, they've got the budget for it. You know, it's not like like that's one of the most important things, surely. I don't know. When, yeah. when I played Uncharted Four, um, I found so so I'm very easily distractible particularly when a game's pretty um and uncharted 4 does like has a habit of constantly redirecting you to how pretty it is like like they do it on purpose <laughs> the, the amount of times the characters are like hey check out that view and it's like yeah no i'm i'm looking at it like i know that you put a lot of work into it guys you don't need to keep telling me but um because i kept getting super distracted uh, I regularly would forget where I was going, whereas the earlier iterations had a lot more camera angle manipulation built into the um, the like each scene. But then that's probably just me being a really disorganized game player and making <laughs> Nathan probably. Drake jump off things as often as possible. I mean, I do that, I do that too. <laughs> <laughs> we could probably talk about the design of the. Uh, of original Halo for an entire episode if we really wanted to. Um, Jens, what are you playing recently? Uh, so last night I completed a game on my phone called Able Black, which was a really interesting experience. And I'm I'm so desperate to talk to the guy that made it because, like, so it, it's better than 95% of what's on the Google Play Store. And it's also on iOS. Um, but for some reason it's had no marketing whatsoever. And I don't know how I found it. I just stumbled across it by accident. I think it was like, if you enjoyed this, you might also enjoy this. And I was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, and it's, it's a narrative puzzle game where you play an Android whose task is to understand and experience human emotions and it walks you through his exploration of emotion in a way that has the sort of um, psychological process that real human growth 
has, but kind of just obviously sped up into the space of a narrative. And then there's like a few kind of like thoughtful puzzles. But the the real beauty in the game is is really the narrative and the way that the narrative and the um the mm, not mechanics like the way that the the sound design and the visuals work together to communicate to you as well. It's it's a really really good game. It's it's short, but it's well worth it. And I'm I'm devastated that I don't, I don't understand what went wrong with this guy's PR. That like no one's heard of it. It's yeah, amazing. I hadn't heard of that. That's it's so it's so good. Like someone needs to just get this dude and be like, okay. Here's a marketing team. That's what they do. <laughs> like, I don't. Oh, it, it's it's really good. It's a, I really really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm not being paid to that. say this. Yeah, so I think it costs like a couple of bucks. Like it was a premium game as well, which makes it even. It's like the barrier to entry, the barrier to discovery is even higher. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it's it's so interesting the way that it explores psychology and the different interpretation of certain stimuli and it's it's quite self-aware at the same time yeah i'm I'm at risk of kind of just wading off into a uh delightful rant about how much i really enjoyed it (laughs) Uh, well i um so what's the mechanic is like you have dialogue choices or so what do you do uh, most of it is reading. You just scroll, okay. and then things will um, appear on the screen. And then there's puzzles that are set out like uh, like an like an examination almost. So it'd be like huh. if if A, then what, and B, C, or D. Interesting. And it analyzes you at the end based on your choices. So I think. Um, I think I've got a screenshot of of how it it decided to analyze me. Um, Congratulations, you have passed this portion of the exam. The following notes have been added to your record. Uh, Demonstrates unrealistic optimism, prone to magical thinking, ungrateful, and a self-righteous martyr. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, it, it got me spot on. That's amazing. What a cool game. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. It's called Able Black, which is like, I, it doesn't actually ever reference this, so this isn't a spoiler, but I've just, like, I kind of realized it's clearly a reference to the phonetic alphabet or some sort of uh, Able Black, I think, maybe. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, it's really good. Um, so you had something that you wanted to add in our book section, so you can go ahead and tell us what what's up with that too. <laughs> Saf's um, description of the Martian reminded me of a book that I read recently that was made by you know the uh, the webcomic XKCD. Yeah, yeah. Um, he got a list of all the questions that people had asked that were just like what if this happened and it's like this really obscure silly question 
Um, yeah. Let me try and find an example from the blurb. Have you guys seen this book? I think I've heard. Well, I, I've read the blog post that it was based off of. I think there's one like, what would happen if you dropped a Honda Civic from orbit and it landed in your front yard or something? Like, it's uh, it's all really interesting science questions. I've I've I like his website, so I would probably like his book too. Yeah, it's and he he literally just goes like full science uses references consistently and is like okay i'm gonna solve this problem so i've just i've just googled what if and um the example here is how many fireflies would it take to match the brightness of the sun and then it discusses like what would actually happen if you had that many fireflies in one space considering how much one firefly weighs and how many you would need and the fact that it would actually create a black hole Oh my god! <laughs> like so, is it like the the mass of all of those fireflies together? Um, it, it reminded when Saf was talking about The Martian and how it like actually uses science. It just really reminded me of this because it's like, yes, yeah, science can be fun by just discussing how we're inevitably going to destroy the universe with about five billion fireflies. <laughs> you got to go somehow. I guess it might as well be like that. I mean, it's five billion. Gone. That's so far off. It's ten to the forty-seven. So that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Wow. How, does that even have a number? I don't. Okay, know. this is not relevant to the podcast. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be Continue. honest. If books like if I had read books like The Martian and possibly even What If, well, I've read it yet, but um, like when I was younger and kind of like vaguely interested in science, but not thinking I'd ever like want to do anything with it um i might have actually stuck around in my science classes a little bit longer oh absolutely yeah it reminds me of like um the a wrinkle in time and science that really uses or excuse me science fiction that really uses science as the basis for it yeah like um there was that book i read a while back version control that like seemed like it knew what it was doing science wise at least talked about the science of the book, like it knew what it was doing. Um, I don't know what the author actually does outside of writing. Um, but it was really cool to feel like there was some kind of scientific backing to what was happening in the book. And it was interesting to be like, maybe this could be real, even if it really couldn't. Yeah. So speaking of scientific backing, um, let's move on to our main topic, unless you guys want to add anything else. That was a beautiful segue. <laughs> oh, thanks. I tried. <laughs> I'm going to make my incredibly obvious segues this episode. We'll see if I can do any more of them. Um, so, Jen, we have you here to talk about Pokemon Go and mental health. So, Saf, I'm going to let you sort of let you. I'm sorry. I keep sounding like I'm giving you permission for these things. We we are in a mutually agreed relationship here. <laughs> um... <laughs> um why don't you lead with the questions and we'll get into sort of what Pokemon Go is doing for people and what it can maybe do for people in the future. Okay, I can do that. All right, so, Jen, first off. Hello. Hello. You do, you're part of um, Checkpoint, which is an, a non-for-profit organization, right? We're officially a charity you're now. You're officially a charity. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. So I, I founded Checkpoint. Um, I'm the executive director uh, nice. along with my colleague Jane Cox 
um, who's one of my co-directors. And, uh, yeah, we founded Checkpoint about six weeks ago, so we're very new. Um, and we're a health promotion charity that aims to uh, act at the intersection of mental health and game technology. So what inspired you to start this charity? Um, well, I, I love games, clearly. Uh, and I always have done ever since I was, you know, old enough to hold a controller. Um, I remember my mum getting a SNES for Christmas when I was like five and it was like the best day of her life. Um, and we used to play Mario and stuff like that together. And it just inspired like a lifelong passion for gaming for me. And then uh, I grew up and I was like, oh, sugar, I should probably like get a real job so I became a doctor because what else would you do and um and now I specialize in psychiatry so my my day job is mental health and uh I thought I could bring these two things together because there are clearly people in the gaming community that would benefit from um mental health support and gaming in itself would definitely benefit from better mental health representation um, and then vice versa, like my, my professional colleagues are just like, sorry, what's a game? Why are you playing that? Are you nerd? And I'm like, well, well no, it makes me feel good. And I, I did a literature review and I realized that there was actually a lot of evidence that games can improve a variety of psychological outcomes like mood and emotional stability and can increase relaxation and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and I realized that this was a legitimate thing and that it wasn't really being focused on and that it wasn't understood in the medical community enough. Uh, so where Checkpoint sits is that space in the middle where we bring games to the mental health community and show them the benefits and try to put evidence behind that and also make sure that there's enough being done about the risks as well. Um, and we bring mental health resources to the game community to ensure that representation is accurate and fair and not promoting stigma. Um, and that the people that are in that community are getting the support and resources that they need. That is awesome. So how Thank exactly you. can games help promote mental health and help with that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's a few theories um, and some some work has been done um, at a variety of clinical levels. I don't want to get too technical, but um, anyone that knows kind of about research knows that there's various levels of evidence. So the lowest is just like, oh, I did a survey in the street. And the highest would be like, I looked at, um, you know, 50 different randomized control trials, which were done in like these specific conditions. And um, I've, added all of the data together and found out what basically the average is. That's called a meta-analysis. And, um, you know, there, there's, there's strong evidence that the mechanism that games use to engage with the player can interact with their psychology and their, their feelings and their, their thoughts and their mood at any one particular time, which anyone that's played a game would be like, yeah, of course. <laughs> but... You know, to explain it on a, a psychological level is a different story. So a couple of the theories are, like, games are inherently motivating, right? They they want you to keep playing them. That's their whole purpose, is, is when you start playing a game, the developer wants you to keep playing the game. 
So how does a developer do that? Well, he tries to tap in, or she, sorry, tries to tap into that space between challenge and achievement where someone feels like the challenges that they are, are overcoming are rewarding enough that they're getting that sense of fulfillment and achievement, but they're not bored. You know, it's not too easy. So it has to be just challenging enough. They call it like the sweet spot of motivation. Um, and that is inherently rewarding. It makes you feel good. When you achieve something, you feel good. So it can go from just as basic as that all the way into really complex psychological theories like self-determination theory, which deals with um, feelings of, of competence, feelings of autonomy, um, the social aspect and also other theories like the flow state, which, you know, if it like is or more, more traditionally known as an artistic state, but it's any very focused state of mind where you're completely involved in this one thing. Um, and it, it inherit, it feels good. Like there's a really strong evidence base that the flow state feels good and games are very good at tapping into that. Um, because they, you know, immerse so many of your senses at one time. Um, so, uh, there's been a few studies about this, uh, a lot of studies. In fact, there's been um, meta-analyses, you know, the highest level of evidence. So we've got really good data that proves that games, certain games played in certain ways can improve mood, can help with people to regulate their own emotions, can reduce stress, can help people to relax. It can help people feel more socially integrated um, and a variety of other things. And there are even studies that show that casual games can reduce depression and anxiety. And there are games being made specifically to do this. In fact, Saf, you, you represent the, the New Zealand um, realm here. There's a game being made in New Zealand called Sparks for, for young people um, to treat moderate to mild anxiety and depression. Um, that's doing really well and they've got heaps of papers showing how great it is so yeah that's that's my 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 long spiel i'm obviously very passionate about um about how this is definitely a thing and why more people need to be talking about it that is awesome and i did not know about sparks i'm gonna have to look that up i feel like a yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no no it's it's still in development um uh, but yeah. it's it's a really exciting project that i've been following for a few years now um so yeah definitely have a look at, at what they're doing yeah definitely so is there is there anything in particular you think about ar games that could help with this kind of stuff i was asked this in an interview the other day um so ar being augmented reality right yeah uh specifically pokemon go can can you think of any other AR games that are really as uh, I mean Icarus widespread? Is it? Yeah, but that's the yeah, same I mean, game. It is essentially. The same game, yeah. <laughs> it's that's, the developers um, made Ingress first, and then Pokemon Go is just Ingress with Pokemon. Yeah, that's something I definitely wanted to to bring up too, and we've got it in the notes a little later. But to answer your question with another question, I guess. Um, is it the ubiquity of this game that makes it noticeable? Because when you say what other AR games are there, I, I would answer the same way. Well, there's Ingress and there's its child, Pokemon Go. 
And it's sort of their popularity is what makes them work as AR games. Mm, I think, I, I don't know whether, um, I, th- I think, let me, let me structure my response here. The augmented reality-ness of Pokemon Go and Ingress certainly would seem to be the reason that it has the benefits that it has, or at least significantly contribute. So Checkpoint did a, a informal survey of Pokemon Go players. I think we had something like seven or 800 responses. And the primary reason that people uh, felt that Pokemon Go was was helping them, and, and 75% of respondents did say that it was improving their mental health. Um, the vast majority, like 93%, stated that it was because it was getting them outside they were exploring their community and they were meeting new people that way and exercising as well. So the fact that it is AR um, would seem to tie in closely to that because it's the fact that the Pokemon are outside that gets people outside. But then does it need to be AR to do that? Could we just develop a game that gets people outside without it being AR? Probably. I feel like it's the perfect storm of, like, there's geocaching. You know, people have had reason to go outside Mm. the public places before. It's the perfect storm of, like, you have to go to a physical place, and it's this incredibly recognizable property that makes people want to go out. Like, they're already, you've already got an emotional attachment to, oh, that's an Eevee, for example. Mm. I'm very covetous of Eevees. So it's the combination, in, in, in my inexpert view, that really makes this work. I think I think a lot of the pleasure that I specifically have gotten from it is is them being in the world and being able to take photos of them and share that. Um, yeah. So I, I think certainly there's there's something that could be looked into about you know the ARness of it, which is obviously not a phrase, but um, it would be interesting. This is me getting very scientific. It would be interesting to do a case control study of the same game where one was augmented reality and the other one was, um, you know, oh, sorry, my phone's vibrating. You know um, how you can turn off the AR in Pokemon Go and it's just fields and stuff? Yeah. Have you done that? Yeah, it's just I like that po- way a lot, unless I want to take a picture in particular. Yeah. So, so that's not augmented reality anymore. Yeah. Like, it would be interesting if you gave, like, you know, 100 people the game with AR off and 100 people the game with AR on and measured how much enjoyment they were getting from it. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. I know there's um a game being developed in New Zealand that I can't remember the name of, and I'm trying to find it right now, um, that is in AR being developed to get kids out of the house um, so they go to the park and, like, there are and, like, dinosaurs around and stuff. Um, and do you, do you think that that kind of thing is good? It's, hang on, it's being developed by Geo AR Games in New Zealand, um, and do you think games like that, where it's, it's still a kid using, you know, an iPad or something, um, but it's getting them to go out into nature and to kind of be outside instead of... I, I don't see any pro I, I don't see any problem with kids being inside to be honest. There's no evidence to suggest that staying inside and playing a game gives people worse outcomes than going outside and playing a game. See that's what um, I think Yeah, it's the act of play yeah. that is the benefit, not 
where it happens. Though, you know, subjectively, people do feel better once they get outside. So um, I, I don't see any issue personally with using technology in order to motivate kids to do things that are going to help them, whether it's play a game inside or play a game outside. Um, I think if it's safe and it's used responsibly, then the more power to them. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. You've got some really interesting statistics on this, um, this survey here. I just um, retweeted it and it can be found at, uh, at RX underscore pixel is where I found it on your Twitter. Um, but it's it um, about- at, at checkpoint org is the official checkpoint Twitter. Cool, cool. Um, so it reports that 73.5% of players reported that Pokemon Go has improved their their mental health and well-being, which I think is that's a very large number. I think that itself speaks a lot for it. And 92.7% of those said it was because they were going outside. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so the other um, interesting thing that I thought about this statistics were that only um, 1.8% minuscule amount reported that their mental health has gotten lower. Um, And now, I'm not sure if it's of those or if this was a separate section in the survey, forgive me, Um, but people that did feel like it was, that it had created a worse outcome, 55, 50%. 6% of them were because it's fear of missing out. So they didn't want to not see what their peers were seeing. And that was interesting to me, both as like a journalist who chases, chases the hot topic and has some of that, like professionally, like my job is to avoid fear of missing out. And, um, but also just as someone, you know, who's most of my friends are playing Pokemon go, I see this, how, um, why do you think this is? And, and what kind of can people do if this is a reason that it's unha- unpleasant for them? How can they kind of avoid that? Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, just to give that a bit of context, you're right. The um, That specific section of the survey was for the people who felt that their mental health had worsened, um, mm. which was only 59 out of like 800. Um, okay, so very small amount relatively. Yeah, in relative terms. Um, and of those, 33 of them had said it was because of FOMO, um, fear of missing out. And I think this is an issue that is not unique to Pokemon Go. I think this is something that spans um, all of our modern usage of social media and the connectedness of the internet, which is a wonderful thing, but has certain... I, I, f- I feel like... Um, it's certainly being manipulated by those who stand to profit from that uh, in a way that it communicates what you want to communicate, right? So, you know, on Facebook, you're not going to be like, I'm having the most boring day of all time. Look at my really substandard breakfast. It's <laughs> it's people on holiday. It's people announcing that they're engaged. It's people having an amazing time with their friends. And it gives you it gives viewers a skewed idea of what the reality of others is um so i think our generation has all had to go through that like the the generation that's been there before and after social media have had to go through that journey where we've been like no actually that's not true 
like what I'm seeing here isn't reflective of reality. You know, people aren't, everyone else isn't spending like 95% of their time having an amazing experience. They're as bored by life as I am, the vast majority of it. They just put the good stuff on Facebook. And I think that um, any, any game that spans social media and spans a huge community like this, like Pokemon Go, there's going to be those experiences. People aren't going to be like, oh, hey, I just spent like five hours walking around and I found nothing and now I feel really knackered and I hate it. They're going to be like, hey, look at this Charizard I just found in a ditch. This is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) So looking at the reporting of this, people, I think, are at risk of experiencing that war. Everyone else is having a great time. Why aren't I? And then that being a negative feedback cycle. And in response to your question, what can we do about it? I think that definitely more needs to be done in terms of making people aware of that, the reality of the situation and practicing normal, like self checks, mindfulness and ensuring that you adhere to um, a good regime around screen time is, is really important. My, one of my colleagues, Jocelyn Burra has a, um, a model of looking at, uh, screen use and um, use of digital devices, which she calls digital nutrition. And she describes it as like screen use is like your five a day, you know, you, you eat good food, you eat bad food. There's good screen time. There's good, there's bad screen time. And it's our responsibility to moderate that the same as it is our responsibility to eat the right things. Um, And I, I think that's a social responsibility as well. Cool. Yeah, that that certainly answers the question. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So, um, with Pokemon Go, what do you think? Because obviously, a lot a lot of people who are um, not so much able to play the game, like like we might, um, are people who have um, chronic health conditions or are disabled physically um, and aren't able to go <laughs> out and catch Pokemon as easily as I might. Um, what are ways you think Pokemon Go could add accessibility or things that could make it easier for people who are like uh, chronically ill, etc., um, to play the game? People that can't get out of the house. Yeah. That's a tough question. <laughs> I feel like the primary mechanic actually involves getting up and moving. Yeah. Do you think that's something that... Um, is just going to be a thing with Pokemon Go that it's not going to really be able to branch more into making it more accessible and that other games will have to step in to do that? I feel like they've made a pretty good effort in some ways. Like um, the use of, of lures and incense can bring Pokemon to you. Yeah. But that's that's more of an incentive for um, tr- like normal game interaction as opposed to an accessibility option yeah uh that's a tough one i would like to see more of stuff like that but then it does go against the game's mechanic like if if you have the option of not going anywhere then a lot of people who could go somewhere won't because it's easier to stay inside and then it just kind of defeats the purpose hey yeah definitely it's a hard thing to balance with games like this i think and i'm thinking too of um 
accessibility in terms of maybe someone that has severe depression or someone that simply does not want to get out of the house. And um, I guess when I come up with this, I was sort of thinking um, something like daily challenges or more individual incentives. Um, because I think one thing I like about this game and is that it's very non-competitive. So you're not, you could capture gyms, you could, and battling other friends would be nice. But right now it's very, you can just sort of go along at your own pace. And if there were more sort of daily individual challenges, it might encourage people to even, to know, do that lap around your local Pokestops or just go outside and sit for a while. Something like that was sort of, yeah, the. It's kind of what I had in mind talking about accessibility. That's a great idea. I think that that would be not easy to implement, but realistic. Like, it's implementable. It's not something that's completely outside the realms of possibility. Yeah. Um, and that it would it would provide benefit for quite a lot of consumers, I think. Yeah, and it would help to encourage people to keep playing the game once the hype dies down a little bit more, I think. Oh, absolutely. And it will been, die down. Yeah. Yeah, it's been interesting to see stories of people that do say, like, oh, this is helping me get out of the house, or this is a good relaxation. Um, and I think as it goes on, it'll be interesting to see how that, whether that changes, or whether because of the popularity it just kind of fades out, or what happens next. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be really interested to see that as well. Look, I've got, you know, I've got a server in front of me with 200 um, people actually writing down their story about what benefit they got from this game. Things like previously on weekends, I just lay around the house and binge Netflix. And now I'm going for a minimum of five kilometers each day because of the walking. I've been less stressed, more positive and feeling better about myself. And, you know, it's there's someone here that said it eases the anxiety of having agoraphobia. Um, and it's just wonderful to just see this evidence of people like writing down, this is why this is helping me. And I hope that if people are getting that sort of benefit from it now, that they will keep doing it because it's helping them as opposed to keep doing it because it's still hyped up if that makes sense. Yeah, do you think it's helping people develop healthy habits so that if the game does disappear and they stop playing it, they might continue, you know, going for walks and getting out of the house more? That would be lovely, wouldn't it? I hope so. Yeah. I don't know whether I think yes or no. I think uh, it's really difficult to predict that sort of thing. But we'll see. Yeah, definitely. So that seems like a pretty good... um sort of inspiring spot to end on. Um, Jen, do you have anything else you want to add or that you feel like we didn't cover? No, absolutely not. I felt that that was a great um, combination and also a perfect segue once again. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh (laughs) Well, um, cool. So Jen, again, thank you so much for coming on. Your expertise was very interesting. Um, Where can people find you online if they want to talk about this more or just follow you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. So so Checkpoint Organization um, is uh, Checkpoint Org on Twitter, Checkpoint Organization on Facebook, and uh, checkpoint.org.au on the interwebs. And uh, I... My name's Jen, um, but I go by Prescription Pixel, so you can find me on Twitter at rx underscore pixel. Great. And um, 
thank you. We have been Megan and Saf. Saf, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin. Um, you can find me at notsafforwork.com. And I just made a Facebook page for Not Safe for Work. So if you want to go like that to keep track of not just my website, but also like everything else I do on the internet, that's probably the best place to do it. Yay! Yay. Oh, awesome. Cool. Um, so I'm at blog full of words on Twitter, blog full of words on Facebook. And don't forget to check the Western Reaches. Mm-hmm.